Come on. The strong, the powerful Peter Hazelhurst has returned to Lifeblood. Welcome back, Peter. Thanks, man. How are you? I I am doing great. I am doing great. Peter is the co-founder and CEO of Syncterra. They are an organization shaping tomorrow's banking. I know you've got some exciting stuff going on, Peter, and just an immense amount of growth. Um, But tell us a little bit about you. Tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you're doing what you're doing. Look, I think one of the fun things that we always thought would happen as part of this company is this uh, this concept of matchmaking, where literally we're taking fintechs that are doing different sorts of things, whether they're doing a, a neobank for YouTubers or my favorite pet bank, which is like legit. There's someone creating a, a bank for people that love their pets and uh, and then matching them to banks. But it's no, seriously, pet bank. It's amazing. And I'm not going to say their actual name, but I think pet bank is, is really cool. Um, <laughs> But anyway, they're, they're, and they're going to be amazing. They've got like a whole thing where they understand what your pets eat because they're getting all the receipt data and they can tell you when you need more insurance. And I mean, these guys are super quantity on how pets live, but now they want to help them with the financial services around them. It turns out parents are price insensitive when it comes to protecting their dogs and cats. I don't know if you have a pet, but pretty sure Sophie would. Well, she did. She had like a stick stuck in her neck and I was like, I don't care. Right. Pay for the surgery. Five million dollars. That's fine. It wasn't quite that bad, but yes. Uh, anyway, so we always thought this would be a thing. And uh, I recently got introduced to this great founder in New York. Um, and he's this fabulous guy. And he's like, look, we're doing something cool for our community. And I want to have a bank partner that has the owners or the executives look like me. And we're like, great, so let's figure this out. And so we found this amazing bank in New York. Um, can't tell you the name of them today. I'll tell you like next month when they announce themselves. But this amazing bank that was founded as a CDFI, so they give money back to the community. And they're also a big corporation. And the founders are um, people of color, which is amazing. So they match like the, the, the uh, FinTech. And we took it to the logical extreme. We actually had a dinner on Thursday in New York and we invited the fintech and we invited the bank and said, all right, you two, please meet and let's do a deal. It was like perfect. And so I think what's happening is we're starting to get a, a big range of different types of banks come to us and say, hey, we'd like to be part of the, the ecosystem. And then the fintechs, now we can start matchmaking them. So some banks are okay with crypto, some are not. Some banks are okay with cannabis, some are not. And we've got all those different types of fintechs that we're helping match. Amazing. So I, I think that we spoke probably five months ago, and uh, now things are, 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 are totally different, Peter, just, just kind of a oh, lot it's, different. It's, it's, it's different in the sense that it's a lot more people involved, which is really fun. So we've done a, a really amazing job recruiting a fabulous team. And um, so I think when we last talked, I think our team was like eight people or 10 people long size. I think we're 54 as of today. Last week I hired or signed nine offer leaders and the week before eight. Hmm. And so the pace is like three or four new people a week, which is pretty exciting. But the mission is the same, which is to solve this technology and and integration gap between fintechs and banks. And um, what's been interesting is that it's really validated that what we were trying to do back then is actually something that people really want. 
And so uh, I think we just announced today we closed a $33 million Series A. Amazing. Which was, um, you know, basically drawn out of this principle that there's so much opportunity and we just want to go faster to capture it. So instead of being 75 people by the end of the year, we'll be 180. And lots of product people, lots of engineers, and a lot of folks in sales and go-to-market because now it's like about capturing revenue from our customers. It, it, it strikes me that, that, that when you have banks coming to you now, I think that that's probably where you always wanted to be. Is it, is it fair to say that, that, that your concept has been proven and that you are now positioned to really do exactly the work that you were hoping or expecting to be able to do? It feels that way. I don't want to jinx it yet. I want to see a, good a bit point. more revenue flowing, flowing through the ecosystem. Um, but it certainly seems pretty exciting. So we've got three signed banks as we speak. We'll probably have another three in the next 60 days, which is pretty cool. And come about August, September timeframe, we'll start to see our first fintechs going live in production, building their first neobanks and stuff like that. At that point, I'll feel really confident. Still now I'm like, you know, we've got stuff to build, we've got teams to fill and stuff like that. I got to hire a payment ops person to make sure that when the money flows, it doesn't fall on the table, mm. things like that. Right, important stuff like that. So. When you mentioned Pet Bank, it sort of clicked in my head. Oh wow! So that that that's whether that's a real thing or it's not. But there's like that's that's that's. that's <laughs> All right, I'm I'm plugging him. His website's trysincere.com. It's a legit website, and nice. I think he's got he's doing fantastic. Anyway, I, I, yes, I, sorry, I I I, I, I I I love it. So we could see Vegan Bank or or CrossFit Bank or whatever. 100%. There's, there's already Tree Bank, with, and they and they, they can't actually call themselves banks. So California just asked China not to do that. So the, technically, it's called Tree Card, I think. And in this case, it's for environmental, mentally focused people, and they plant a tree every time you swipe your card and stuff like that. Amazing. Uh, a friend of mine's running a, a new startup called Wingo up in um, Toronto, that's here in the US, and it's a, an account for kids that they. So imagine, so my son's ten. Theoretically, in two years' time or three years' time, he'll be old enough to publish on YouTube. He may or may not be publishing on YouTube right now. I'm not going <laughs> to confirm or deny that. And um, But he wants to earn his money. He's like, Dad, I'm, why is the money going to your bank account? I'm like, because I'm the dad. Well, yeah. these guys have come up with a debit card that's for the kids that they can register. And when they register it, the parents get to say yes, no, is, are they allowed to have money income, like from YouTube or TikTok or whatever? And then they get to control how the money's spent. So it's like the best of both worlds, teaching the kids responsibility on financing, but also hitting the customers where they are. And if you said to me, is there someone at Bank of America thinking about um, how to get 13-year-old TikTokers to open a bank account? Pretty sure there isn't. And what's unique about what's happening is because it becomes easier and easier to launch a neobank for a different category of thing, we're getting a much more fra fragmented or fractionalized situation where you can get a book for the, uh, a bank that fits your needs, whether it's I'm into sports or I'm into fine dining. I'm sure I there has to be a neobank for the foodies. It, it's got to be coming, you know, with a special rewards program. Eat, every three Michelin star meal, you get twice the points or something. Are, are, are you saying near bank? Oh, neo bank. Like neo. New bank, like a challenger bank. Sorry, yeah, my Australianisms. Uh, so neobanks are, for example, 
Aspiration down in LA, which is doing a really, really uh, bang up job. Um, also doing environmental causes and, and uh, social help through rewards programs. It's Chime, which you've probably heard of. Sure. It's Venmo's deposit account. It's effectively a neobank powered by PayPal. And under the covers is the actual bank, which is Bancorp. Got it. And it would be probably, it would be really challenging for pet bank just to say okay we are passionate about pet owners we want to start a bank and to go through that whole exercise but it's theoretically speaking going to be viable because the bank is already in existence it's 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 an existing community bank and you are just marrying it with this fintech that wants to serve pet owners that's exactly right so if you were today to say i'm going to really create a bank from scratch it's like a two or three-year journey with the federal reserve like getting licenses, getting approved people, getting capital structures, all this sort of stuff. And no startup is going to wait two or three years to do that. If you're really, really experienced, I don't know if you've heard of Vero Money, they had a two-pronged strategy. They partnered with a community bank at the launch, while in parallel spent two years building out all the regulatory work to become a bank too. So Vero was one of the first fintechs to actually get a true banking license. And once they did that, they transitioned the customers from the the community bank to their own bank. But very few fintechs need to do that. And what they really want to do is create value for their consumers in different segments, whether it's um, a neobank for gig economy workers that helps them, you know, solve the inconsistency of, of their cash flow, because maybe one day they're working on Uber, the next day they're working on Postmates and so forth. So different segments. It makes a lot of sense to me. Like, like the whole thing makes sense, and it's super exciting. Um, what What are some of the biggest questions that you get from the banks themselves? The first and foremost thing is, how do you keep us safe from a compliance perspective? Because if, if you're a community bank, many of them are quite small, one or two branches. They have a set of processes that says when George wants a new bank account, you walk in the front door, you hand over your driver's license, maybe your passport if you're from overseas, um, and you do some background checks and they say, great, where are you getting your payroll from? And they sort of do a bit of, not a credit check, but they double check that you've got enough money to make a deposit account. And they have that process dialed in for 10 people, 20 people, 50 people a day that come into the branch. But what, along comes the neobank and suddenly they're growing at 60,000 accounts a week. Hmm. Right? So the bank itself may have 30,000 and they're growing at 60,000 accounts a week from their various fintechs that are on the platform. All the manual human processes they did don't work. And so they have to think about how are we going to oversee the fintech to make sure that they do the work to make sure that this person is not a terrorist or on some watch list or something like that. Combined with, as the transactions are flowing through, they have to worry about money laundering. So you've heard of the sort of thing where if you write a $10,000 transaction, they have to write a report to the federal government or to the Federal Reserve. Imagine that at scale across tens of thousands of consumers per week, growing, growing, growing. So what we do at Syncterra is we give them all the tools they need to manage and monitor from a compliance and an operational perspective so that they don't have to scale up a huge compliance team. We can help them manage that and we can help make the management and the operational burdens much simpler. That's problem one, compliance. The second problem is once you do that, then you actually have to do the math to make sure that the fintech is in balance. And this is called accounting reconciliation billing. It's the sort of stuff that happens at the end of every business day at a bank. You get all your deposits, you look at what happened in the tellers, and you figure out how much cash you have, 
and you double check that against a general ledger, that sort of activity. But now imagine that's across multiple fintechs and each of them doing different cadences of activity and behavior. So you have to figure out how much money do the fintechs have because you need to put it into a balance account at the bank so that the consumers get FDIC insurance every night. So there's a lot of that sort of operational accounting stuff. And then if you get all of those two considerations done, the last thing is just operational flexibility and scalability. Because these community banks we work with are really tiny. They have 5, 10, 15, 20 people in the total bank operational team, which covers them for 30,000 customers, doesn't cover them for the velocity that we'll help them with. And so our job, help them on compliance, help them on operations and accounting, and then just help them scale up and price and sell. So we do all of the selling for them as well. Nice. Makes all the sense in the world. How, how much of it is, well, like I'm thinking about just, just the relationship this bank and the fintech are, are, are forming. It, it's, it's, um, it's a partnership, like a marriage. What happens if it doesn't work? So uh, it really doesn't work, but it does occasionally happen. So there's sort of two things that can go wrong. One can be that the community bank itself doesn't do a good job of oversight or compliance and the regulators come in and say, hey, we want you to be more careful here. We'd like you to stop doing new fintech programs until you clean up your operations and your processes. And that can happen if the community bank is trying to build a homegrown KYC and know your customer solution, things like that. Um, the banks don't want to be in that place because then they're turning away business. On the fintech side, sometimes the fintechs can say, hey, I want better pricing. And so they get, they get some success. They get 200,000 customers, 200,000 customers and say, hey, bank, could you give us a discount? And sometimes the banks will say, no, don't want to do that. And then you can end up in a situation where the fintech says, well, then I'm going to go find a second bank or a different partner. So those things can happen when it goes wrong. It can also happen where the fintech wants to do something creative around type of product. So maybe offering too much cash back or something that doesn't feel financially viable. And so the banks have to help keep the fintechs from getting in trouble, but also protect the bank's charter. Because ultimately, if the regulators come in and shut the bank down, the fintech's dead anyway. So it's, uh, they have to work together. Makes sense. And for some reason, I thought that it would just be one bank with one fintech. But in fact, it could be one bank and several fintechs. Yeah, for sure. So our goal is to have three to five to even 10 fintechs per bank hmm. uh, because that gets the bank scalable efficiency and they can have more programs. And the actual opposite is also true. We have several fintechs that have come to us and asked us to have two or three banks at the start and they split their accounts across the multiple banks to help give them you know, reliability and redundancy in case one bank has something that they need to deal with. Yeah, well, that certainly makes sense. So you are doing all this stuff. You are raising money successfully, which is exciting. You're you're putting together deals with huge financial companies and obviously all these banks and fintechs and you're hiring and everything else. What are you doing great, Peter? And what 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 do you need to do a better job at? I think we're doing a pretty good job. Uh, great is like I can't say that. <laughs> I, I think we're doing a, a, I love the fact that we're building such a great diverse team and, and making this company um, full of really interesting characters with different backgrounds and different life experiences so that we actually just are better because we're the composite of all of these different experiences and geographies and thoughts and, and all of that stuff. And 
it's really, really helping. I think I feel that's really good. I think we've doubled down on that by actually allocating 10% of our funding rounds from now until the future for diverse investors. So we particularly want to inspire other founders to find great investors that look like them, that they have an affinity for. So I think that stuff, I'll say it's pretty good. Great seems, I don't know if I can say great. but but if you did, that would be okay. No, seriously. That uh, that that, no, that, think, that sounds pretty great. Think, tell me tell me. I'm think, sorry. Before I get into what you're not doing awesome at, tell me a little bit more about that 10. percent How does that how does that work? Where did that idea come from? So the idea came from uh, my buddy Richie at Phoenix Payments, and he he published this thing. He said, "Look, we've created this pledge. Uh, we've renamed it called the Cap Table Coalition, but at the time it was called the Founders Pledge." And the Cap Table Coalition uh, is this principle that, as a founder, we're going to allocate in every funding round we have 10% to diverse uh, investors or underrepresented investors, for example. And in this round, we've been really lucky. We've had a whole bunch of really interesting folks come to us. And what we're doing is then pulling those into a coalition so that the next founder that comes along, they, they have a playbook for how to raise the 10% and so on. Um, but, you know, it's been really fun. We had a great relationship with the folks at Gangels, which is this LGBTQ um, investing community uh, of angel investors, which is fantastic. We also did some, the, probably, I think, for NIA3, their biggest check yet, uh, which is their investors uh, for Southeast Asian women, which is fantastic. Um, what else did we do? Oh, we did Plexo, which is Lowe's uh, fund. And so many really great new folks that are, big on fintech but may not get access to the cool deals so we're hoping that by doing this then there'll be these investors that are really tagged to really great deals so i think that stuff's going really good on the personal side i would say i i'm doing an okay job on the work-life balance but um you know there's a lot of stuff going on and i wish i could spend more time with the kids fair enough well, I really, you know, congratulations on putting your money where 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 your mouth is with the Cap Table Coalition. That that's an incredible thing. Um, like you, I, whether you said it or not, but you mentioned you raised thirty three million dollars, so that there's three million dollars that are going to be going towards um, um, diverse investor groups. Is is that's obviously an incredibly impactful thing. So I very much appreciate that, man. Thank Great you. job. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Yeah, look, I think, you know, we can always do more. Uh, I'm super committed. One of the other cool things that we did uh, was we started St. Terry University because we're recruiting tons of engineers. And so far, six of the eight uh, first round folks are women, which is fantastic. It totally beats the odds of normal engineering recruiting. So we're really thrilled about that. And it's really interesting. So we've, we've actually been able to find people all over the world and you know, luckily enough, all of our engineering stuff in Canada. So immigration is actually really simple or straightforward. So we, we hired someone from Tokyo. We've hired someone from Paris. We've hired someone from Dubai. And we're going to end up back in Toronto, which is fantastic. And it's so easy to do. And this is great talent. And uh, I think it, it all creates value as we create this economy and uh, experience together. What a cool thing. Very, very, very cool. I love it. Well, Peter, thank, thank, thanks for coming back on. Congratulations awesome. on everything. Um, I will mark down that you're going to come back on it in five months or so and kind of give us an update on, on, on where you're at. But where can people learn more about you and Synctera and how can people engage with you? 
Easiest way is hit us up on our fun new website, syncterra.com, S-Y-N-C-T-E-R-A.com. And we'd love to hear anything you want to do, build, partner, we're recruiting. We're just excited to be building what we're building. Awesome. Well, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Peter your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas, go to syncterra.com. That's what? That is S-Y-N-C-T-E-R-A.com. And check out all the cool stuff that Peter and the new team of dozens of people are working on. Thanks again, Peter. Thanks, man. It was really great to talk to you, Josh. Yeah, likewise. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight as we are all in this together.